Welcome to the Leadership Playbook, the show where successful leaders share what they learn to get to where they are. This podcast is an offshoot of the Albers Executive Speaker Series. And it's brought to you by RSMUS LLP, the nation's leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on the middle market. I'm your host, Joe Phillips, the Dean of Seattle University's Albers School of Business and Economics. Our guest today is Sunny Gupta, co-founder and CEO of Aptio. Aptio was founded in 2007 and helps companies plan their IT investments. Sunny Gupta is the co-founder and CEO, and in that role has been a pioneer in the technology management space and has driven the company to become the market leader in a disruptive industry. He led Aptio in an initial public offering in September 2016, as well as its acquisition by Vista Equity Partners in January 2019 for nearly $2 billion. Prior to founding Aptio, Sunny was EVP of products at Opsware, responsible for all product businesses, until Opsware's acquisition by HP in 2007. He was also the co-founder and CEO of iConclude, which was acquired by Opsware. Previously, he held senior leadership roles at Mercury Interactive, Rational Software, and IBM, all part of nearly 25 years of being a serial entrepreneur founding companies that then get acquired and then get acquired again. Sonny earned a BS in computer science from the University of South Carolina. Well, welcome, Sonny. Welcome to the Leadership Playbook. It's great to have you here. We had planned to have you come to campus, but, you know, COVID had changed that. So appreciate your flexibility and joining us in this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So our listeners probably have heard of Aptio, but may not be sure of actually what the company does. So could you give us a quick explanation of the business? And also, how did you and your collaborators come up with the idea for founding it? Yeah, so Aptio is a technology company, a software company. We provide cloud-based applications to CIOs and CFOs of companies of all sizes, and we help them specifically plan, manage, and optimize their technology investments. As we all know, technology today is powering every major business process in the enterprise. So, you know, we are in the world of digital transformation, and certainly COVID is going to accelerate that. So a lot of the organizations we work with are seeing a massive rise in the technology spend. So Aptio is the platform they use to manage and optimize those investments. So the journey of Aptio really started in 2007. I had sold my previous company, Opsware, to HP. And uh, really, I was taking some time off, and I had gone to visit New York and see some of my customers from the past life. And the conversation really started in the office of the CIO at Goldman Sachs, a very large investment bank. And I was about to walk out, and they asked me, what am I going to do next? And I asked them, what are you struggling with? And that led to what the Aptio idea is today. They said, hey, technology is massively complex. We're spending on a lot of on technology, but there's no effective way to measure and manage. So really, that summer in 2007, I spent the entire summer talking to around 40, 50 customers, really validating the idea which Goldman Sachs had given me, and then assembled a team together. And that allowed me to also raise capital with Madrona Ventures, Greylock in the Silicon Valley. And that's how we kind of got going. Great. Thanks for that introduction. You know, you mentioned COVID, and I'm just curious, how is COVID impacting the demand for your services? What's happening there? Yeah, you know, obviously, this is unprecedented, kind of what uh, the whole world is going through at the same time. So really, I think COVID has had 
couple of impacts. I mean, we are definitely seeing some impact on the top line. We sell our software by creating a lot of demand and by in-person meetings. We go visit a lot of these customers, large customers, uh, you know, very senior executives in these Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 style companies and travel around the globe to kind of visit them and kind of create demand and talk through it. So obviously with COVID, every company's top line is disrupted unless you're Zoom or, you know, a few exceptional companies. So as a result, I think the first quarter, certainly in Q2, I think many companies were trying to kind of figure out their scenario planning on what really is happening to the top line. And as a result, they had to rapidly take down the IT costs as a result of the top line. So I think we've seen two dynamics. On one hand, it's been harder to develop new opportunities with companies, although things started to shift as we kind of went into Q3. But on the reverse side, I would say a lot of the CFO, CIOs needed much more rapid ability to do scenario planning on their IT budgets. They needed to do drastic cost cutting on their IT budgets. They needed to manage their cloud spending, which is a variable spend structure in a faster way. So if you think about those dynamics, that's created a demand for Aptio products. So we've seen some effect uh, from the negative side, but then we've also seen some acceleration because customers are saying that, hey, we need a system, we need a software solution to help us in a data-driven approach and data and analytics to be able to help get through this COVID environment. You mentioned a little bit, but how's COVID impacted the day-to-day -day operations? You talked about your sales model, for example, but I'm just curious what's happened there and how do you think some of these changes could possibly be permanent when you get back to normal, quote unquote? You know, COVID has been really fascinating from kind of how it's affected the company and the operations. So obviously this hits us all in Seattle first, in this Puget Sound area in uh, first or second week of March. Now, we were fortunate because we are a technology company. We are called around 1,200 employees worldwide, and we have multiple offices, even with the headquarters up in Bellevue. So very instantly, we were able to shift to remote work. And there was a lot of skepticism that how working from the house is really going to work as we went in. And frankly, nobody really knew the impact and how long the situation could last. Many people thought it's weeks, days. Some people thought like a month, couple of months. So I would say moving from in-person culture to a remote culture went pretty seamlessly. But us being a technology company, we had a lot of investment in technologies already like Zoom. We were already using that. We were using technologies like Slack, email culture. So that allowed us to shift pretty rapidly. We instilled more of a culture of a video culture to start with, just so as people transition more into this environment. And so I would say uh, that part has worked extremely well. Number two, I would say we used to do all hands on a every six-week basis. So in the Zoom world, we've kind of moved into more frequent all hands. So I can now touch remote employees much faster. So we do all company meetings every two weeks now for 30 minutes. So much smaller condensed sessions, but more frequent. And I'm able to interact much more broadly with our employee base than I could do before the world. So that's a culture we'll bring in together. Thirdly, I would say my management team was pretty remote always. So when we used to do a lot of the big meetings, everybody had to travel to Seattle or some other place, and we always had to be together. But now we've done very effective two-day, three-day off-site meetings, board meetings on Zoom. And that's actually turned out really, really productive. 
So that's been pretty good. Fourthly, I would say I used to travel on the road quite a bit, around 50-60% of the time, going visiting customers. But that actually is also starting to work rather than actually going to New York for a three-hour meeting or rather than going to UK or Germany or Asia. I'm able to touch the customers much more rapidly. I'm able to get onto the calendar much more rapidly. So I would say generally we've seen the productivity of the employees kind of go much faster. There is no commute we are all dealing with on a daily basis. So those things have been really, really positive. I would say on the negative side, what I've already talked about, there are a couple of things that jump out. One is we have a population earlier in the career people at Appio, a lot of people in apartments and, and so forth and roommates. So there is a big part of our population who's dying to get back to work because work is a place for them to get to away from their home life. Uh, and they'd like people would like some level of separation. So that's one element. Secondly, I think on the sales side, it would be good for us to be able to travel and meet customers. And thirdly, there are some forums, like a lot of the sidebar conversations when you get your team together, your management team together, you know, when you're talking off Zoom and kind of uh, going for a drink or a dinner or a meal together. And those things are very, very hard to replicate in this world of digital experience. Those are great insights. And there's a lot of parallels with what you're experiencing and what we're experiencing here in higher ed also. You mentioned culture. Maybe I wanted to get back to that a little bit. So how would you describe the organizational culture of Aptio? But also, how do you keep it going as COVID continues, right? You know, the first month or so, you're kind of going on fumes. Everybody is knows everybody. But then as time goes on, the separation, some people are leaving, you're hiring new people. How do you pass that culture on as COVID, you know, goes on further and further? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I would say, let's just start with the culture. So right when Aptio was founded and created, I think we were five co-founders at that time. And obviously the company has gone through a lot of change in the last 13 plus years. We actually went through this period of time where we really got together and established our cultural values. And I'll kind of talk through a few of them. So the culture trumps strategy any day from my perspective and, and the core founding pillars of Aptio has been the culture. Number one, it starts with creating wildly successful customers. We believe our customers who use our software have to be wildly successful, use the software on a regular basis because that's the foundation of what we build. So that's number one. Number two, we thrive on results, not effort. Results matter. Thirdly, we want to develop a lot of leadership and kind of talent now we've introduced a new value in light of kind of what's been happening around diversity and inclusion. You know, that's kind of pretty front and center. Lastly, we also talk a lot about how we have to just continuously improve. Every day, we got to get better than the previous day and so forth. So those are some of the pillars of our cultural values. They're very, very important. We recognize we have this tradition called the superstar. So we give superstar awards to four or five employees every quarter people, employees who kind of exemplify these cultural values. So the second part of your question, as COVID started to hit, it's a close-knit organization. We've opened up offices in India, North Carolina, other parts of the world. And we have taken a lot of joy and pride in kind of instilling these values. And COVID hits. Initially, I thought keeping up with the cultural values is going to be really, really challenging. In fact, I'm finding that it's much easier We've hired probably a couple of hundred plus people in the last six months alone. 
in the COVID world, which is just, if somebody asked me that 12 months ago, that like if you were working out of the house, you would you be able to add this style of population, onboard the people, and then most importantly, maintain the cultural values? I would have said that cannot happen. But we have maintained our hiring standards just the way uh, it is. In fact, it's faster because sometimes you had to fly people to Seattle or so it's easier to, the recruiting process has kind of really condensed and our onboarding process is all virtual now. So we, we don't have to kind of fly people out here and we have instilled a lot of the cultural values on it. We've brought in the new people into the cultural fold. We've kept up with some of the traditions, some traditions which used to be more oriented towards in-person. We've kind of shifted them more towards the digital experience. So I would say we are continuing to survey our employees on kind of how we are doing on the cultural values. Our scores pretty much on every single category have gone up in terms of how engaged our employees are during this time and how much more they believe in our cultural values. So that's been, I would say, a really positive outcome as a result of being in this COVID environment. So what do you think has been the keys to being successful in finding those people? Because first of all, in IT, you're not supposed to be able to find anybody to hire, right? And then secondly, bringing them on successfully. What do you think helped make that work for you? You know, I would say uh, we have embarked on a strategy of kind of talent acquisition, which is not just centered on Seattle. So we have established multiple what we call centers of excellence. So we have Seattle, we have North Carolina, and then thirdly, we have also India and Bengaluru. So those have been our three centers of excellence. Obviously, we have salespeople pretty much all around the world, including Sydney and London being the other two major areas of presence for us. I would say we've taken a couple of different approaches. You know, you're very biased when you look at a resume and a set of experiences. So we have this terminology called high potential earlier in their life people. So people kind of one or two, three years out of college. So if I go three to four years back, we were very much centered around a certain set of experience and a resume. But we have opened our aperture on the top of the funnel for our recruiting. And we are going after even people from, you know, tier two, tier three universities. We have institutionalized what we call a cognitive assessment in the top of the funnel because we want to find these hidden gems. We want to find people which other companies are not kind of going through. And now we have more location diversity. So that is allowing us to kind of access talent at a faster pace. And then we have this concept of boot camps, where uh, once we bring in uh, these high potential earlier in their career people, we have these boot camps. So we take a month to actually onboard them, two months to onboard them, both in their profession and cultural values. And we have onboarding programs. And then for kind of key strategic roles, senior roles, right, we continue to be very aggressive and, and kind of compete very aggressively with the rest of our peers in, this in Seattle industry or other parts of the industry. And, you know, we've been really, really successful with that type of approach. And that's also allowed us to be more diverse, I would say, in our hiring practices. And that's also something we are setting very concrete goals around. So you mentioned diversity was one of your changing values. So I'm just wondering, in the wake of Black Lives Matter, which sort of comes on top of COVID, and the tech sector has always been criticized for a lack of you know, racial diversity, have your customers been asking you for help with diversifying your supplying and sourcing and so forth? Have you seen that show up? Yeah, you know, I would say, look, you know, what our industry and actually the whole world is going through, certainly United States, this is probably the biggest movement 
we've seen in the modern era and since the 60s. And I personally believe this time it's different. There is a lot of bottoms up movement. There is a lot of movement from our employee base, number one. So I, I would say when I jump on a lot of these Zoom calls internally, this is the topic we spend a lot of time on in terms of kind of what's top of mind for people, you know, how Aptio needs to continue to kind of become more diverse and inclusive. We've kind of outlined programs and goals of how we're going to hire talent, which is that way, how we're going to, you know, recruit from specific universities, right, which, which offer kind of that style of capability. And look, diversity means many different things. It certainly starts with a lot of the Black Lives Matters. You also have gender diversity. You have sex diversity, sexual preference diversity. So there are many elements of diversity from that perspective. Uh, this is very important to our customers. We work with customers who are who have a lot of diverse employee base. So we believe actually with a diverse culture, I really believe this, we can just build a better Aptio. If we can tap into the different thought process, different experiences, different gender, racial diversity, that just allows us to build a better organization. And in fact, the more individuals you hire, that also becomes the way for us to hire the next talent. I did a roundtable with eight to nine leaders in, in Aptio who are, you know, black Americans. And basically, one of the leaders is a VP. And one of the things he said kind of really stuck with me. He said, hey, the first thing when I was actually interviewing with Aptio, I was looking at the leadership page and seeing who's on the leadership page with, you know, who's African American or black. And he didn't see any anybody at that stage. And he said, hey, before my even first interview, I was a little skeptical because I was like, okay, how as a leader in the organization, how would Aptio as an organization reflect? Now, so we've taken already some very concrete steps. We took one of our very promising leaders. She's exceptional. She's African-American and she's also now serves on our leadership team. So I would say even in the last six months, we are moving on this topic but because it's really, really important to me personally. It's really important to our customers and I just think we're going to build a much better workforce if we have more diverse employees. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Let's go back to the uh, business of Aptio a little bit. So, you know, when you're a startup, it's hard to get people to be confident in you. And one of the things that Aptio has done is build up a great partner network. So curious how you went about getting those partners that are such an important part of your business and your success. It's been an amazing journey of 13 years and building a company from scratch. We started Aptio in the Bellevue Library in 2007. And then finally, after four free days of Bellevue Library, we were kicked out and I had to move the office back into my basement. So that's kind of where a lot of the founders were meeting, trying to find any open Starbucks and, and that sort of stuff, right? And that's not an atypical story than most founders. I would say the one value which has always been the most consistent with Aptio is unwavering commitment to our customers. We don't feel like we are the smartest people. We've listened to our customers very deeply. We continue listening to them, you know, where they wanted innovation and develop the business. So as we started to get traction, first, I would say in the partner community, nobody really believed that this could be ever a big business. So we had to go to market alone. We had to build the product on our own. We had to sell the product on our own. We had to deploy the product on our own. 
And I remember talking to a lot of strategic partners during the journey and people thought like, hey, this business could never be greater than 10 million. Then we got to 10 million and people were like, well, this business couldn't be greater than 50 million, right? So kind of we've heard that. So to a great extent, I would say our leadership team has had a lot of chip on our shoulders and we like to do unthinkable things. But I would say as Aptio today is used by 65% of the Fortune 100 at the CIO and the CFO level. So we have very strategic engagement. And the reality is our product does not operate by itself. It operates with many other product lines. For example, we are strategically partnered with Amazon Web Services today. We are partnered with Microsoft. We are partnered with ServiceNow. We are partnered with Atlassian. These are all systems we have to integrate with. We are partnered with financial systems like SAP and Oracle. We are partnered with uh, Workday. So these are all the elements which we have to ingest data and our customers demand that. So again, we keep going back to what our customers want. We come out with integrations and with some companies we have more go-to-market relationships, some we don't. And then we have the strategic consulting ecosystem, right? Whether it's companies like Accenture or Deloitte, you know, KPMG, these companies all have intersect with us at the customer. So, so I think it's been very customer-driven partnerships. And again, I also feel like if Aptio was a baseball analogy game, if, you know, we're in innings too. While we've achieved a lot of success, I feel like we're in the world of digital transformation and technology is going to be pervasive. And, you know, we have thousand plus customers. We believe every CIO, every CFO, large or small, is going to need Aptio to kind of manage their technology spending. So we believe the best days of Aptio are ahead, including partnerships to come. So you already mentioned, you know, Aptio is really a global business, whether it's customers or employees. So just curious, there's a lot of geopolitical stuff going on these days. Is that something you feel like you really need to watch? And are there particular concerns as you look forward in that regard? Yeah, you know, I would say our employees operate in, you know, as, as we were talking about different races, different genders, but more importantly, different geographies. We have a decent amount of population in Europe. We have a pretty big population in India. We have different countries in Asia, Japan, Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, and some presence in Malaysia and so forth. So as a leader of uh, Aptio, I feel like we have to be much more knowledgeable around kind of what's happening in the world. So my first thing is kind of starting with a quick review of kind of Wall Street Journal for that day. Just trying to kind of get a sense on what's kind of really happening at a mega level. I mean, there are certain things I follow more than others, but also kind of using our employees to learn. As I jump on these calls, I'm hungry for knowledge on kind of what may be happening. And our employees do expect that. I mean, certainly I think there's a bigger turmoil, if you will, in my opinion, kind of happening more in the, in right in our backyards in the U.S. right now with elections, with kind of what's happening with the Black Lives Matters, these issues are kind of pretty real issues. And, you know, our employees want us to have a perspective on these issues and take a stance on these issues. So I think I think the job of, uh, I was on a CEO forum with a bunch of Silicon Valley leaders, and we were just talking about this, that how, while my number one responsibility is to deliver value to my shareholders and my customers, but there's a big important part of my job, which is to uh, be very knowledgeable around some of these issues and also be empathetic. I won't have answers to every question, but at least be empathetic to listen, learn, and just make sure whatever you know we can do. So I'm very deeply partnered with our head of HR, and this is something we spend a lot of time on kind of behind the scenes. 
So you mentioned you're constantly wanting to exceed expectations for growth that some people are laying out there for you, and you are continuing to grow and you have big aspirations to do that. But at the same time, big tech is really under fire politically, right? Whether it's, you know, they're just too big, there's privacy concerns, censorship concerns, national security concerns have all come up of late. What's your kind of take or your point of view about some of the ways the government is trying to influence or getting involved with the tech sector, especially the big tech sector? Yeah. Look, I think there's definitely a room for some of the elements which uh, relate to monopolies and unfair practices and all that. And I, I definitely think the government has a role to play there. I definitely think privacy is a pretty important topic because it's very important to whether you're selling your software to enterprises or whether you're selling it to consumers, right? The privacy of your data, data protection, I mean, that's really, really critical. And we live that firsthand because our what our customers ask us for. So I think having the government kind of partner with the private sector and the technology sector on those kind of things is very, very important. And, you know, you're starting to see kind of good change. And then I think there are a lot of other areas. I do believe we are in this world of digital and technology, frankly, will be the answer to many challenges, as we've already seen. I think also technology is going to be one of the prime ways of how we're going to get through this COVID crisis. You're starting to see a lot of innovation come out. As a result, companies are going to transform much faster to a digital world. So I think on those areas, my personal perspective is, you know, just government needs to do what they need to do and they need to keep the technology sector aside and like certainly step in when people are not doing a job, the right job from an ethical perspective and security perspective. But other than that, this is the time where the government needs to actually support the technology industry rather than come in the way. Switching gears a little bit, you know, you've had the opportunity as Aptio CEO to be CEO is a private company and a public company. And just curious, are there any uh, pluses and minuses between the two that stick out for you? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. So we went public in 2016 and uh, we were venture backed for, for some time. So it was in September of 2016. The company went out with a market cap of 550 million at that time. We missed the first quarter out of the gate. And we were a newly minted public company. My market value went down to probably 250 or 300 million. So almost half with one quarter by missing 2% on my top line. And I almost had half of that cash on my balance sheet <laughs> than my market cap. And that was, a, that was a pretty harsh reality of learning that public markets can be extremely fickle. They're extremely fickle. You know, you're kind of new, newly public company and there is so much focus on the quarterly results, and really the disclosure issues of a public company are also not kind of as black and white. Like most public companies kind of really don't disclose a lot of the internal operational metrics. So while me as a CEO, I can feel really incredible that, hey, you know, I have one or two deals kind of slip. But from the outside, because we, we don't disclose as a public company, you, you're actually incentivized not to disclose that much information but then I think it took us on that two-year journey where I delivered five to seven quarters of repeatable exceeding expectations. And that got us to a $2 billion outcome uh, where kind of Vista, which is one of the leading private equity firms in, in our industry, kind of took us private. And our goal was not to get away from public markets. I was actually really enjoying it at that time, but it was, it was in the best interest of our shareholders at that time. So that was the right thing for us to do. 
So then going into the private equity world uh, has been joyful. I really believe it's really allowing me to focus on the long term without having to think about the quarterly results and how I'm going to be answering my question, you know, 100 different ways to a 26-year-old Harvard analyst. It's the same question you get like different ways and they really don't know about the business. And I'm much more deeper with my investors today where it's a very transparent conversation. They understand all my internal metrics. We are in this together and we are able to kind of build the business for the long term. So I think the transformation we've been able to drive in the business for the last 18 months has been tremendous, super supportive. It has freed up probably, I would say as a CEO and my CFO would probably say the same thing. It's probably freed up 25 to 30% of my personal time, if you just think about that. Not having to focus on public company conferences, analyst calls, a lot of those type of things, and really take that time and really focus on how to build Aptio into the next large software company in the Pacific Northwest. So in normal times, we'd be, you know, on campus and you would be speaking to an audience of, you know, two or 300 students. And so I want to make sure as the dean of the business school to get the next question in, which is, you know, what advice would you give to recent college graduates or soon to be graduates, particularly in this pandemic period? When you graduated from college, what do you wish you knew back then that you know now that you can pass along to our students? First of all, you know, any students kind of graduating out of Seattle U, you already have a strategic advantage. I mean, I was graduating out of South Carolina, and you're graduating out of Seattle. This is one of the world's hub in the technology world right behind Silicon Valley. You're graduating in a really good place. And while there is a big story out there around like unemployment rates and all, I can just speak for myself. Frankly, from a talent perspective, there's a big need for talent in our industry. And while the situation may look grim right this minute or, or next week, this is just a matter of time. There will be incredible opportunities. I would just say keep believing and you got to keep taking the shots. Also, I think networking, if you know people within a company through your network, uh, that's the most important piece. I mean, you get hundreds of resumes, and what really separates somebody is when somebody can put in a word for you to the HR department, to the recruiting manager, and that gets your resume right at the top. Any things you can highlight, and then as you're thinking about your resume, as you're thinking about Think about how you can differentiate yourself. As a leader, I look at resumes and I literally glance at it for two minutes. I initially just looking at it for two minutes and then deciding whether you know we want to take the next call or not. So what can you do to kind of differentiate yourself and go that extra step above and beyond? And I, I remember when I was graduating in 92, so it's been a long time, very different part of the life, but I wanted to take as many shots as possible so I took the time to write to, at that time, email was not as prevalent. So I took the time to write to 200 unique organizations and every letter was personalized. I tried to differentiate myself through incredible references of my jobs. And I, I as a result, relative to other students with similar grades, I was able to get five to seven interviews. So just keep believing and you're in one of the best economies still in Seattle. So I think this is all going to pass. The COVID situation is going to pass. And I know organizations like Aptio need exactly the talent, right, which is coming out of organizations like Seattle University. Great advice, Sonny, especially telling our students to stick with it and to also network. 
appreciate you making those points. One last question I have for you before we have to break away. Could you just tell us a little bit about your leadership philosophy and what are the key elements that you try to keep in mind as the leader at Aptio and wherever else you've been? Yeah, you know, I would say there are a few important characteristics. Number one, I think many other leaders would probably say the same thing, but I would say surround yourself with people who are more complimentary and smarter than you. As a CEO, I kind of came in through the product ranks, so I, I didn't understand everything around sales. I didn't understand anything about finance as much. So like, go get the best CFO, go get the best person who knows sales. So it kind of complements your skill. That's really, really important. Number two, always be willing to admit your mistake. Many entrepreneurs and leaders go wrong when they get extremely fixated on their own idea. So I think data does set you free. So I think just continuously listening to customers, listening to the data and ability to get in front of your organization, your team, even when you've made a decision based on additional data points, you say, hey, I was wrong. Thirdly, I would just say humility. Humility is really, really important. One of my heroes in, in this town certainly is Satya Nadella, just the way he shows up every day in front of his organization, how he listens to external third parties, his partners, his customers, his employees, and, and use that knowledge then to morph and change you know, for the better and ability to admit mistakes and remain humble. I think those are just incredible qualities of any kind of leader. Those are the things I try to embody, but not necessarily I live up to every day. And uh, you make mistakes. And if you make a mistake, just say, hey, I've made a mistake. Be just open about it and, and then just get better the next day. Those are great insights, Sonny. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us today. And you've really given us a lot to think about. It's obvious to me why Optio has been so successful under your leadership. You're obviously a great leader. As you, The key principles that you just share with us are very important for success, I'm sure. Again, thanks so much, Sonny. Uh, thanks so much, Joseph. You've been listening to The Leadership Playbook the podcast edition of the Albers Executive Speaker Series at Seattle University. If you enjoyed what you heard today, consider telling a friend and give us a good rating on iTunes. You can subscribe to our show for free on your favorite podcast app or find us online at leadershipplaybook.org. Find out who our next guests are by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Joe Phillips, the Dean of the Albers School of Business and Economics. Thanks for listening.